Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm Liam Bailey. I'm head of research at Knight Frank. Over recent episodes of the Intelligence Talks podcast, we've taken a look at the fortunes of the UK and global housing markets and also the farmland market here in the UK. All of these markets have unsurprisingly been disrupted to some degree or another by current trends in inflation and interest rates. This week, we're going to shift focus to take a look at commercial investment property. Once again, this is a sector buffeted by economic challenges, but with a medium-term view, is also one with real opportunities. So to help us make sense of the key themes at play in this market, I'm joined by two experts. Firstly, Will Matthews, the head of Knight Frank's commercial research team. Welcome to you, Will. Good morning, Liam. And secondly, Simon Marks, who is head of research at Lothbury Investment Management. Hello to Simon. Hi there. So in recent episodes of the podcast, we've considered how residential property and farmland investment has been faring in the teeth of higher rates and growing uncertainty. Very briefly, if I start with you, Will, how have these factors impacted commercial property investment over the last few months? Thanks, Liam. I think there's at least three different things that we could talk about here. So firstly, it's important to mention that a lot of commercial property is debt financed. So the purchases are financed in parts by debt. So all other things equal, when the cost of debt rises, people can afford to buy less commercial property, or maybe just aren't able to buy it in in the first place. And we've seen that start to impact on volumes of commercial property trading in the last uh, couple of weeks and months. In some cases, the level of interest charged at the moment is actually above what the property might yield. So from that perspective, you you have to ask yourself what kind of other things you'd be doing to to drive a return. Then we've had, through some rather convoluted uh, methods that I won't go into right now, we've had an impact uh, through rising guilt rates. We've had an impact on pension funds and other other types of institutional investors' appetite for commercial property. So they've become less active on, on the buying side most recently. And then thirdly, because some of these bigger investors have stepped out of the market to a large degree. There's been a window of opportunity for different types of investors to get into the market. So your private families, private wealthy individuals, etc., that maybe wouldn't necessarily be competing in the market in the same way. So there has been an opportunity for those investors to come in. Thank you, Will. Uh, So Simon, some pretty big shifts, I suppose, uh, we're hearing there from Will. What's your experience been from your perspective over the last couple of months? Well, we've certainly seen investors adopt a wait-and-see approach, and that's not entirely unexpected. In the quarter of the EU referendum back in 2016, volumes were about two-thirds of the average of the previous three years. We've seen exactly the same drop in Q3 this year, about two-thirds of the normal volume. Foreign investors, certainly more cautious. Sometimes the headlines look a little bit worse when you're not in the market. Um, of course, there's more risk in going abroad. So foreign investors, they, as they held back a few years ago, they're, they're holding back again. Today, typically foreign investment is the dominant contributor to UK investment, um, and they, they weren't in Q3. So the implications are that if you don't have all of these comparables, then the valuers are left with a choice of either hold values, yields flat until there's more evidence out there as in which direction and, and how far to move them, or 
as has been done in the last few um, downturns is move everything by a similar amount um, until then evidence emerges so they can refine that a little bit more. And that's what we're going through today. Just go back to that point, Simon, that you raised about uh, overseas investors. I'm just thinking listeners might, you know, will, will obviously be aware of the weakness of the pound right now. Does the fact that actually international investors have not been coming into the UK market despite that buying opportunity, does that say something wider about the position the UK is sort of held in at the moment with, with, with investors? There are different reasons as to why foreign investors will choose the UK. Sometimes it is cyclical and they are either leveraged core buyers or opportunistic buyers, both of those probably waiting to see at the moment what happens. Then you have those domestic to their own markets that need to diversify away from their own markets uh, regardless because they have too much exposure to their domestic markets. You see that a lot out of Asia Pacific at the moment, other sovereign wealth money perhaps. And for that, for those countries, they will look at the UK and think, this is a large, liquid, transparent market. It's in the right time zone. It's got a good legal system, a language that is accessible. All of those natural characteristics and advantages that the UK has And if they need to invest for the long term, they will always have the UK and always have London on their radar, regardless of the cycle, regardless of sterling as well. So I think that they may not move into the market today, but they will always be monitoring closely and be ready to move in the not too distant future. Just sticking with that thought around the UK's kind of risk position or, or the, the view that investors have of the UK as a, as a sort of um, as a destination, we had quite a lot of excitement in the financial markets at the end of September, which we'll all remember uh, with the mini budget. It seemed to impact negatively on pretty much every asset class, uh, particularly um, property. Sticking with you, Simon, for a second, it's very early days, obviously. But do you think the arrival of the new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has had any tangible impact yet on investor confidence? Well, there are there are two big factors that are driving what's going on in the markets at the moment. One of those is uncertainty. And the other one is simply the level of, of the bond yields. And obviously, they're, they're closely related. If you go back to the last uncertain period, we had the pandemic, but, but things changed overnight with the first lockdown. We're not seeing an overnight change this time around. The fundamentals are still broadly unchanged. They are evolving week by week, but they're not dramatically shifted. The dramatic shift that we saw after the EU referendum, that uncertainty remained in place until investors realised, again, nothing was really going to change for a few years. So now we have a new prime minister, the chancellor in place. I think that that uncertainty will persist for a few weeks yet, all things being equal, until we know more about the budget or we get more evidence from the real economy, that's when we're going to start to see uh, longer term strategies emerge. With reference to the bond yields, the the bond yield level, the other influence, well, a lot of that has been unwound, not without incurring huge irrecoverable costs to UK PLC. But nonetheless, bond yields are, are much softer now than they were before. But they were on an upward trajectory even before the mini budget. So they are linked. So it's going to take time to adjust to a world where we've got cost of borrowing at 3 4%, you know, interest rates up at 5%. It isn't all about the base rate and inflation. We do feel the real economy slipping week by week and, and the, having a new prime minister is not going to change that. 
but there is still a good market out there within real estate. There are willing buyers, there are willing sellers, there are plenty of bidders on good assets. There are some motivated sellers, but I'd say it's too early to say there are a significant number of forced sellers. Will, does that reflect your experience, your conversations with agents and with clients over the last couple of weeks uh, since we've had a slightly more calm political environment in the UK? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, just on a very sort of practical note, as Simon was saying, the level of guilt yields has come in quite significantly. And what that does is it means that when you're looking at uh, yields on guilts versus yields on property, there is now, once again, a positive arbitrage there, which is, is obviously what people are, are looking for when they want to invest in commercial property. So on, on that basis alone, we've seen a, a bit of an improvement. I mean, I, I'd also just sort of make the point that, again, touching on things that Simon mentioned, that, you know, to an extent, this is about the UK. To an extent, it is just about what's going on in the global economy. So actually, if you look across global commercial real estate markets, you have seen volumes fall over the last quarter. And UK, as a percentage of those volumes, has held up relatively well. So it's still the second largest destination for overseas investment into commercial real estate globally. So although everything has has fallen, the UK's ranking within that, that overall position hasn't changed quite as dramatically as maybe some of the headlines might suggest. We've obviously been through a, a relatively turbulent couple of months, but as you look ahead towards the into Q4 uh, and into 2023, how, how do you sort of see things shaping up in terms of, say, volumes or yields or uh, other movements in the market? Well, it's a really interesting question. I think there's there's quite a few moving parts here as well. And there's certainly a big debate at the moment between different parts of the property market as to, to where we might end up. Um, I mean, just if you take the question of values, you know, very early on, the listed property sector, the stocks and shares that invest in property, the analysts that look at that sector were talking about implied falls in value of 30%. Other commentators were, were talking about larger falls. The reality is we've only seen uh, sort of 10 or 15 across the market so far. So there are various different voices out there. You know, one, one sort of obvious point to make is that we do tend to talk about commercial property um, as if it is one big sort of monolithic block that moves in lockstep. And, and the reality is it, it never does that, even during the, the, the depths of the GFC where we saw values fall on average by 45%. There were sectors that didn't fare nearly as badly and there were some that fared worse. And, and that's undoubtedly what we'll see this time round as well. Simon, same thought really. Um, your views on the next few months, how things might pan out? Well, the question for me is, is whether what's happening to property yields at the moment is a reaction to the bond yields or the interest rates. And obviously, they're very closely linked, but the markets on the bond yields has moved very quickly. Interest rates, of course, that increase, that correction is being managed much more carefully because there's a very direct impact on the public. It's politically sensitive. Now, at the very high level, commercial property as an asset class, I believe, is more tied to the fortunes of bond yields because it influences the capital flows in and out of our asset class. The risk-free rate is, of course, um, government bond yields used it in most required return models, target return models. And there, if you look at what bond yields are implied, they're going to be still moving up and might start correcting downwards again from 2026. The economists actually believe it's going to be earlier than that. As early as 2023, those bond yields might start moving in as inflation starts to slow. Now, if that happens, we're looking at a relatively short-term market correction for property, a short, sharp shock. And maybe we've seen 
a lot of that already um, over the last couple of months. There'll be a bit more to come over the next few months, um, but might not be longer than that. My concern is that the interest rate side, they've got a lot more to go. And we have a good sense of the direction and the terminal rate that they're heading towards. But consensus is expecting 65 bips by the Bank of England next month, 55 bips after that, and so on into Q1 2023. And and that's going to be a continued hit on leveraged buyers, as Will mentioned. And there's still a a not inconsiderable number of amount of leverage out there, much lower than during the GFC. But the REITs have have about 25%, 27% leverage at the moment. So that's noteworthy. But also that those rising interest rates start to drag on the real economy, corporate borrowing, corporate investment, mortgage costs, consumer spending, unemployment, all of those factors. And if, if that's the case, that really starts to drag down into the real economy as well. So it's not the base case, but I would say there are considerable downside risks that, that the occupier markets for property that currently we look at and think are in, in pretty good shape, well, they, they start to struggle over the next few months and you get a second wave of um, negative sentiment around now rental growth rather than simply the yield shift that we're seeing today. Will, we're moving into this more difficult economic environment with little overhang of inventory in terms of developed housing stock or, or commercial property. Is that something which you see as being different compared to, say, the GFC, uh, when actually there was quite a bit of uh, speculative space that was coming into the market just as the market turned down? Yeah, I think that's that's right. So on the commercial side, you know, with a few exceptions, we really aren't seeing those supply overhangs that you, you spoke about. Yeah, if anything, we, we're facing shortages, and that's been one of the reasons why we've seen such strong rental growth in recent years. So I don't think that's a big concern this time round. I think what you will see is that there will be ongoing strong demand for particular sectors, living sectors, for example, student housing, institutional residential development, and other sectors like that, where actually the, the problem is really a lack of stock rather than an oversupply. Simon, I don't know whether it's helpful to draw parallels between the GFC and, this, and, and the current situation, but I, my recollection was that actually the downturn was relatively rapid in terms of impact on values and transactional impact, and actually the upturn um, surprise on the upside in terms of the speed of the upturn. Of course, the Bank of England were able to slash rates to kind of help the economy start motoring again. It's unlikely to happen this time around. Do you think that we can take lessons from the GFC as we look into 2023 and beyond? When I look at any of the previous downturns, right back to the 1970s, there are so many different variables in play from the economic side and the property side that it is very hard to draw parallels, I would say. So during the the mid-70s and early 80s, that was huge inflation. Early 1990s and the GFC were, were particularly bad for house prices that hadn't been affected before. And all of those are worse than what we're expecting for 2023. Then we have cost of borrowing was very different in all of those situations. Um, It is actually very low still today compared to before, but it is rising from a low base, which we've not had before. And overall, negative GDP growth was weaker in those previous recessions than what is currently being expected today. So it is very difficult to tell. On the real estate side, we've had recessions where values have fallen 40% in two years, Others were 30% over three years. Another one was less than 10% and only one year. Really, what I learned from this is that property still has a, a role to play 
throughout the downturn because it, it could be that the values on paper are moving, but you are still getting cash in the bank that is tangible. It can deliver what a lot of investors, particularly pension funds with liabilities, want um, in terms of partially inflation tracking income, um, or in some cases explicitly inflation tracking income. So the focus really has to be on on the leases, the strength of the leases, the strength of your covenant that they would survive through the difficult times. And if things go wrong, how relettable is your building? How relettable is your location? And if that doesn't work, what's the residual value in your land or alternative use for that building? All of those, I think, you can draw parallels from previous downturns without necessarily all the economic and property indicators moving in the same direction. Simon, you're, you're helping us move towards a more positive note in our conversation in terms of the, um, the, the fundamental value that is there in property, despite the fact that we are obviously moving into challenging times right now. When you look ahead, which, which sectors or which, um, which geographies are you particularly interested in or excited about when you're, when you're looking ahead to the market? Well, I'm not sure that a lot has changed. Generally, these downturns accelerate the trends that are already there rather than deliver brand new ones. And so, as as Will has already mentioned before, where the fundamentals are strong, undersupply is weak, that's still the same. Logistics, okay, demand is, is easing off, but it, it's not going to fall off a cliff unless you get perhaps double-digit inflation persisting for, for several years and the cost of living crisis really becoming significant. Um, so I would still see the fundamentals of logistics being strong. All of the living sectors where they're undersupplied, residential, built-to-rent, multifamily, single-family, uh, affordable housing, and quasi-residential, let's say, student housing, all been mentioned so far, and all, I think, have got really strong fundamentals. And then those emerging sectors like life sciences, again, demand vastly ahead of where supply could ever hope to be over the next few years. In terms of locations, you do see that London and the influence around the southeast tends to be strongest through the cycle. And there are pockets of growth around the UK, but London it tends to be a clear winner in those situations. All I would say is I would suggest that, that investors should look at the cycle in its entirety rather than just the downturn or the recovery. During the downturn, actually, if you look at the GFC, high quality yields moved out about as half as much as poorer quality yields. But because they were lower yielding in terms of overall yield impact, they were hit just as badly. Capital values fell in unison for everyone. But the important thing is that not only did your income survive in the core prime assets because you had better tenants, better locations, but also they recovered much more quickly. So I think we need to focus on the whole cycle and its strengths and weaknesses rather than dividing it into sections of downturn and upturn. Will, just to focus on that point around sort of bifurcation in the market, we talk about it quite a bit in terms of demand for best-in-class property being resilient, but is, is that something which you're seeing becoming more true over time, actually, that constant demand and requirement from clients for the best buildings in the best locations, etc. Yes, I, I think so. And I think this time around, we've got another lens to add to that as well, which is that of ESG, particularly as poorer quality buildings 
yeah, effectively will become obsolete in years to come. So that's another consideration for people. I think what I'm seeing at the moment is that, you know, whether by accident or design, there's a real focus on the sectors that are going to drive the UK's productivity over the next period. And, and clearly that's one of our challenges as an economy. Um, so if you look at the sectors which we think are likely to fare well over the next sort of five or 10 years. They are things like life sciences, as Simon has said, they're things like data centres and really the sectors which support innovation, which you know, typically drives higher GDP growth as well. So I think that's where investors are, as I said, you know, either by accident or design, putting their capital at the moment or want to put their capital. And I think that's a strategy that should be rewarding for them over that time. Simon, thank you very much. That's been hugely informative. Thank you for joining. My pleasure. And also to Will, thank you very much for attending uh, today's session. Thank you. And just to all of our listeners, for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out each Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And any one of our dedicated sector-focused newsletters, uh, see our show notes for more details. And please remember to subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. 